0: I want to say good afternoon. It is a blessed honor to be back amongst the saints. On the Lord's day, I remember the revelator in revelation, the first chapter at verse number 10. That man, John, would say, I was in the spirit. On the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what you see is right in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. He then goes forth to list all the churches. But John, being in the spirit on the Lord's day, as he was exiled to that Isle of Patmos, not having the opportunity to meet with the saints, I think about what blessing we have as to be able to meet on the Lord's day for just a little while this evening to fall in line with the topic being discussed this month we are going to discuss just a little bit more about how it's better in Christ when I think about the scriptures that we discussed on this morning, making reference to Jesus in that parable in Luke, the 20th chapter. Showing how there was a certain man planting a vineyard. The man had husbandmen of the vineyard who were to take care of that vineyard, who were to work in that vineyard and who were to bring forth fruit from that vineyard as this man would send servants When the servants went, those husbandmen and those workmen of the vineyard did not take too kindly to those servants. Those workmen and the husbandmen of the vineyard would beat the servants and cast them out. One by one, over and again, until the third servant. Then the heir was sent. They not only beat him, but they put the heir to death. Nevertheless, when we think about our station in Christ Jesus We must certainly be knowledgeable of the fact that there is no better vineyard for us to work in. When we're working in Christ, when we're doing the will of our Father which are in heaven, we must realize that we certainly have the best vineyard to prune and the best vineyard to work in. I think about what the Bible would say in Colossians, the third chapter. Running along this idea of how we are workmen, thinking about how we, perhaps as servants according to the flesh, which is to say, we being servants to our employees or rather employers, what we ought to do and how we ought to be working, with what mindset we ought to be working here in this life. I remember in Colossians, the third chapter at verse number 22. Scripture looking much like what we see in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, but in Colossians, the third chapter at verse 22, Paul would encourage. He said, servants, obey your excuse me, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh. We aren't to do so with eye service, nor as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart. Fearing God, whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as if you're doing it to the Lord, not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. I believe Paul is explaining to individuals. That we need to have the proper mindset when we are, are working. We need not to be thinking about our employers in a sense of we're working for them as if they are the greatest thing. Or what they can provide by way of paycheck, by way of benefit. They can provide something that even God can, cannot provide for us. We need to be regarding it in a way that when we are working, we're doing it heartily as if we're working for the Lord. If we have this proper mindset, we realize that there is an inheritance that is not going to be removed for us. Speaking this while or for a while this evening about a better inheritance, which we have. Knowing that in verse 34, 24, rather, that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. There's no better inheritance. So what better mindset can we have when we're working? Than to be working for the Lord. I think back during a time. When Peter was writing in 2 Peter the 3rd chapter. In 2 Peter the 3rd chapter. When we consider a point. That Peter was explaining in 2 Peter the 3rd chapter. As he was writing there. This second epistle he's writing to those saints. He says beloved I now write unto you. Second Peter, the third chapter at verse number one. He says, I write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers who are walking after their own lust." They're saying, where is this promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are or continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. People are using this short minded approach to life. To be or to weigh themselves up against the promise of God as if it is insufficient. As a matter of fact, they are debunking the promise that was given from God to creation by scoffing and walking after their own lust, they aren't patient and they aren't doing things heartily as if they are unto the Lord. For that reason, they're walking according their own, to their own lusts and they're scoffing at individuals still abiding in the faith, saying, where is this promise? In verse five, it says for this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, that the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water whereby the world that then was, was overflowed with water. It perished. These same scoffers aren't familiar or aren't realizing the story of the flood. But nevertheless, when we look at verse number three. There shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts. And they're saying, where's this promise? You realize that these individuals are trying to sway people from continuing their work. When you think about us from a fleshly standpoint, when we work, perhaps we're working for a company. And many of us are in the time of our life where we're reaping the benefits of the labor that we would wrought in our youth. Now we are in a position of retirement where we are able to reap the benefits of all of those years that we put in to our employee. If this is true from a worldly perspective. That there is an inheritance laid up for us, how much more so from a spiritual perspective. Nevertheless, if people on the job were to come unto you speaking against what you ought to be doing day in and day out how you ought to be punching the clock, how you ought to be doing things honestly, you could quickly find yourself in a dangerous position where you may no longer be employed. We need not to heed the scoffers. When I think about these scoffers in 2 Peter, the third chapter at verse number three and four, I think about those sons of Korah. Do you remember the scriptures and what they said during a time where the children were in the wilderness? I'm thinking all the way back to the book of Numbers, the 16th chapter. In the book of Numbers, the 16th chapter, you may remember those sons of Korah who would lift up themselves against that man, Moses. Thinking about that rebellion, we'll do just a bit of reading this evening. Make some application and the lesson will be yours. But you may remember... At the end of the story, we'll start from the end and go back to the beginning. That because of this gainsaying and because of this wickedness, this murmuring and this outward gainsaying against Moses and against the will of God to bring his children out of the land of Egypt. These individuals like Korah or the sons of Korah, Dathan and Abiram would lift themselves up against God's anointed. They found themselves in trouble at the end because you would see that Moses would show forth a sign. He would say, if these men die any death that is not common among men, you shall know that it is the Lord that has done it. You may remember that the earth would swallow up many in the congregation. But if you go back to the uh, beginning of Numbers, the 16th chapter, we'll do a little bit of reading and make our way down to about verse 15. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi and Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eliab and On, the son of Pilah and the sons of Reuben, they took men. They rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, about 250 princes of the assembly. They were famous in the congregation, and these were men of renown. They gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and they said unto them, You take too much upon you, Seeing that all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you then lift up yourselves among or above the congregation of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Now, I have to reckon that Moses at this time is starting to feel a little bit exhausted because these men murmuring against Moses and Aaron are not realizing that Moses was pleading with God before he was even sent to the children of Israel that he was not an eloquent man. They, who He was asking God, who, are, who, who is it that I'm going to say that sent me? Moses was already going through some struggles when God was telling him to do this in the first place. Now these men... Dathan, Abiram, and Korah had supposed that Moses and Aaron were just trying to lift themselves up over the congregation when actuality shows that Moses was sent there to be anointed and to be the mediator, the man hand selected by God to stand before his people. Nevertheless, you see in verse five, he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, even tomorrow, the Lord will show who are his and who is only. And will cause him to come near unto him. Even him who he hath chosen, he will cause to come near unto him. This do. Take censers, Korah, and all his company. Put fire therein and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord does choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, Does it seem but a small thing unto you that God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? And He hath brought thee near to Him, and all thy brethren and the sons of Levi with thee, and you seek the priesthood also? Moses is explaining wait, you have the priest, or excuse me, you have, as the sons of Levi, your duty, but you're also seeking the priesthood In verse 11. It says, for which cause both you and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou has brought us out of the land of Egypt or excuse me, brought us out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us. Look at verse fourteen. It says, Moreover, you has not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Will ye not come up? You see that the children or Korah and Dathan and Abiram and the rest of the company began to murmur against Moses. They began to gainsay against who God has appointed over them to be a mediator for them. Not only that, you see that their response in verse 14 was, You didn't bring us into that land that flows with milk and honey. In other words, These individuals were familiar with the promises that God had given to his children, but they weren't patient enough to wait for the promise. As a matter of fact, they were saying we're not sufficient or suffice to listen to Moses any longer because the rest of the congregation is holy as well. He's saying you have not brought us up to a land that floweth with milk and honey, or you have not given us to an inheritance of the fields and vineyards. This looks a lot like what we just read in second Peter, the third chapter, how that in their impatience, they lifted themselves up against God's anointed to start to complain start to murmur, start to bicker among themselves, not suffice in being patient and waiting for God's deliverance. These individuals were in the wilderness for 40 years. Though I don't believe it was in the mind of God for them to have to be in the wilderness that long. But it was because of their own sins. It was because of their own transgressions. It was because of their own hindrance of them not being entered in the land in an expedited manner. Nevertheless, we need to not fall in the category of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. We need to be steadfast in waiting for that inheritance we need to, as we're working, as the book of Colossians, the third chapter at verse 22 through 24 would say, doing things heartily as if we're doing them unto the Lord. We ought not to be doing things with eye service. We not, ought not to be working as men pleasers, just waiting for somebody to catch us in their peripherals about what we're doing. But we need to understand that we have a God who holds our inheritance in heaven's eternal glory. He holds our inheritance and we have a God that's able to see us In the dark and in the light. We need not to be like the scoffers. Who are turning away from the promise. We need not to be like Dathan and Abiram. And the sons of Korah. And Korah and company. Murmuring against. God's anointed. Murmuring against. Those possessions. That inheritance that God ultimately said. That he would give. We go back. To the book of Ephesians understanding this evening or afternoon we have a much better inheritance we have a much better inheritance than even what we can be working for on this earth it may be true according to second corinthians the 12th chapter at about verse 14 that it's the parents that ought to lay up for the children it may be true that when mom and dad go on they would leave behind an inheritance for the children. It may be true, whether it's acreage, a trust, a bank account or whatever it may be, that those things will be laid up for the children. But that cannot amount to what glory we have in the world to come. In the book of Ephesians, as we hasten to a conclusion, in the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, we discussed this inheritance for a short while this morning as we concluded. But Paul is very much vested in the Christian understanding. As he discussed this inheritance in verse 11. This inheritance being predestinated or predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. This is God that has given us this inheritance. He says that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. But as we drop down. As we drop down in verse 15, it says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 17, says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, I said it before that Paul was interested in our understanding. He says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. There's riches of glory in our inheritance, which belongs to the saints. We need never to lose sight of that. There is no better riches. There is no better inheritance that we could ever attain in this life. It is true that we may get an inheritance according to what our fathers leave before us. Nevertheless, that can't amount to what God, the father of lights, has laid up for us. It says in verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? He wrought this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power, might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. He hath put all things under his feet and he gave them to be the head of the things to the church. This church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Church, there's no better work out there. I don't care if you get one of those cushy government jobs with one of those beautiful pensions. I don't care if you work for a Fortune 500 company. I don't care if your grandparents or your great grandparents were... Inventors of some of the best inventions that the U.S. has ever known and got a patent for it and passed that patent down from year to year, from generation to generation with your name on it. Next, we have no better inheritance than with that which is in Christ Jesus, because no matter what. If we inherit a beautiful house with all the beautiful acreage, if you die and when you die. Somebody else is going to be living in that house. It doesn't matter if you inherit, I would say a Rolls Royce, but out here in this rural suburban area, I got to describe uh, a big old four by four truck. I think that's what people like to drive out here. I don't care if you inherit the best four by four driving truck, the shiniest of them all. If you die, somebody else is going to be driving that truck. But it's. As 1 Peter, the first chapter at verse number four would say, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, that is undefiled, and that fades not away in heaven's eternal glory. Let's not consider that we have no better work. There's no better vineyard in which we can be laboring in, and there's no better inheritance associated with all of our labors if we would just trust in the Lord and wait on him. Let us not be like the scoffers in 2 Peter. Let's not be like the gainsayers or the murmurers in Numbers, the 16th chapter, but let's continue to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Know that our work of the Lord is not in vain. Let us wait for that glorious appearing of Christ Jesus as he descends and he comes back for that purchased possession. He comes back to redeem us, to deliver us unto our heavenly abode. That is the wonderful message that we have. And the wonderful hope that we have to hang on to all of the days of our life. We've heard the word of the gospel as Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 12, 13 and 14 explains. After you heard that word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed and you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You have to hear the word of God. You have to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who came down into this world to live a a sinless life, to put on Calvary's cross, to hang there, bleed and die for us. He had to die a suffering death according to the scriptures. He had to be buried according to the scriptures. And he had to raise the third day according to the scriptures. You have to believe on that. Believe that if we are found in him, we can receive that inheritance. You come hearing the word of God. You come hearing the gospel. You come believing, repenting of your sins, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're baptized into that one church as Colossians, the first chapter At verses 22 would explain Christ is the head of that church and that church is his body. We come and you're baptized into that one body. You're risen up out of that water, having your sins all remitted to walk in the newness of life so that we can be focused on the beautiful work that God has set forth for us. Understanding that there's no better inheritance. Let us come stand and sing a song of the Savior's invitation.